Pastor Harry Long with us again this morning, and we're continuing our our ser- the sermon series through Revelation. And for the reading of the word this morning, we have two passages uh, not found in Revelation. So if you would stand for the reading of the word. 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 6, verses 3 through 10. We put no obstacle in anyone's way so that no fault may be found with our ministry. But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way by great endurance in afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love by truthful speech and the power of God with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left, through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise. We are treated as impostors and yet are true, as unknown and yet well-known, as dying and behold we live, as punished and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing yet possessing everything. Then also in Matthew chapter 5, verses 10 through 12. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Father, thank you for your word to us. I pray that you would meet us here again through your word, give us uh, uh, encouragement and conviction through your spirit that uh, you might be honored and glorified this morning. I ask that you would bless Harry as he opens a word to us this morning as he sings in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you, Anthony, for reading those passages. Remember them in the, uh, just the testimony of the Apostle Paul in his life and ministry. You go into one city, and God would plant a, a church, he'd be blessed. Another city, he'd be stoned and left for dead. Another city, he'd be put in prison. Uh, life proclaiming the gospel in this fallen world is not an easy thing. It's not an easy thing to be a church in this fallen world. And we are looking at the letters to the seven churches at the beginning of Revelation. We find the challenges were there uh, from the start. It's a privilege to be here this morning with uh, Nick and Hallie uh, being uh, welcomed by the congregation. He's already uh, preached here uh, in the interim several times. And uh, so you know him. This is uh, it's kind of unusual as we're not just meeting him for the first time. Uh, but the uh, last Sunday, the, the search committee announced his name and I heard cheers in the congregation. But our theme this morning in the letter to Smyrna is be prepared, don't be afraid of what you're about to suffer. Or maybe it was a letter to the church. It's a letter to the church. Don't be afraid of what you're about 
to suffer. I did find some irony uh, in that and a little bit of tongue-in-cheek humor. But as I prepared this sermon, I thought about the different churches, uh, these seven churches that are typical of church problems until Christ comes again. This is a letter to a church that is about to face great suffering. And the message to them is do not be afraid of what you're about to suffer. And as I prepared for this, I thought about what if I were preaching this in Ukraine? You see, there, there is tongue-in-cheek humor. We live in a really privileged place and time. But our brothers and sisters in Christ are going through great trouble right now. And it's not simply the direct persecution of Christians. It's a part of the wars and rumors of wars that Jesus said will continue until he comes again. But suppose that the communists could take over Ukraine. We know from their history that you know, the ire can turn directly on those who would say, there is a God to whom you're accountable. And there could be great persecution of Christians. There is in this world today. So this letter to the church in Smyrna is not um, hypothetical. It may be for us in our place and time. And I don't think we should take every letter and say, oh, this is about us. So we're not in a place where we're likely to face the kind of intense persecution that the church in Smyrna is about to face. But we do face different kinds of suffering in our, in our easier, more privileged times. How much do we fear it? What are you afraid might happen to you this morning. And let whatever it is drive you to the foundation that is ours in Jesus Christ. Before we read this passage, it is the shortest of the letters to the churches. And so it's a good time for us to dig a little bit deeper. Just put your study hats on for a second as we remind ourselves where we have been and see some of the structure of these letters, the context of these letters. And the first began in Revelation, we looked at chapter one, and we found that Revelation is a revelation of Jesus Christ to John, and through John to the churches. It specifically names these seven churches, but the number seven is interesting in Revelation anyway. The, the, the Holy Spirit is called the seven spirits of God. There's something of wholeness and holiness in the number seven. So when these letters are written to the seven churches, I think we can understand in apocalyptic terms, this is written to the whole church. The personalities of the church and the circumstances they face are just typical of the, church, of the, the problems we face as a church until Christ comes again. And it's also interesting that the number seven has an aspect of holiness. As we look at the letters to these churches, there's a rebuke in most of them for something that they are not dealing with correctly. And yet, as Paul wrote to the Corinthians, and we're very familiar with the sins of the Corinthian church, Jesus, uh, the apostle Paul uh, called them saints, holy ones. Why? Because our righteousness is not our own. Our Savior has taken our sins and paid for them on the cross and gifted us with his righteousness. So when God looks at you and he looks at me, he sees in us the very righteousness of Christ and our sins taken care of. And we can be called holy ones, even though there's still stuff to rebuke in our lives. 
So when the letters are ad addressed to the seven churches, I think there's this, this aspect of holiness church, uh, too. The church is holy because it's made holy by our Savior. In chapter 1, you know, John says, John's account of it is that uh, he heard a, a voice that said, and this is in verse 11, which said, write on the scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. And I turned around to see the voice. You have this dynamic in Revelation where John will hear something and then he turns to look at what he heard about and what he sees in, in the voice that was speaking. He says, I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned and saw the seven golden lampstands, which are the seven churches, and among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet, with the golden sash around his clothes. His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in the furnace, and his voice was like a sound of rushing waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars, which are the seven uh, angels of the churches, the messengers to the churches. In many ways, it just represents the seven churches, the personality of the churches, as he addresses through the leaders of the church the letters to each church. In his right hand, he held the seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp double-edged sword. His face was like a sun, shining in all its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. And pay attention here. Remember this for the letter to Smyrna. I am the living one. I was dead. And behold, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. What we'll find in the letters to the churches are that these are from Jesus. And one portion of this description of Jesus that we find in chapter 1 is applied to each of the churches. And once you begin to notice that, it becomes very interesting. Let's just look in your bulletins. You'll see in your bulletins a little bit of study guide here. You see an overview of the churches. We are skipping around a little bit because of the special Easter uh, schedule. Uh, we leapt forward to Thyatira for a Palm Sunday when the leaders of God's people go bad because certainly they had gone bad when Jesus came to face them in Jerusalem. And then uh, on Easter, we went forward to uh, Revelation chapter 5 and we saw a scene from heaven. Chapter 1 introduces to news from heaven, and then we saw the scene from heaven, and John was witnessing Christ after he had uh, made atonement for sin by shedding his blood on the cross, ascended into heaven. He saw the Lion of Judah, and the Lion of Judah looked like a lamb who had been slain. You catch all the significance of that, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And all of heaven worshipped him. The leaders of heaven and earth fell down and worshipped Jesus. All the heavenly hosts fell down and worshipped Jesus. All, all in heaven and on earth fell down and worshipped him. You find this crescendo. Now, I want you to remember that. Because as we come back to look at the circumstances in this fallen world, in their worst case, 
when the, the letter says, do not be afraid of what you're about to suffer, you need to remember the joy that is set before you. There's providence in this schedule and going to, with Easter and looking at the resurrection of Christ and looking at the, the final glory where we are headed and then coming back into the suffering world. Remember our Savior himself, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. Hebrews chapter 12. It didn't make it easy for Jesus. He was in great agony in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he prayed, Father, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. But he knew the purpose for which he came. And he was praying, working himself into the right position from the beginning to the end to say, but thy will, not mine, be done. And the end of that long prayer, where, where his disciples fell asleep, was, Father, glorify thy name. And he calls us to follow him to experience the fellowship of his sufferings. So when I say to you that you should not be afraid of what you're about to suffer, what stands out to you most? What would you put in caps? If this were a letter addressed to you, would it not be what you're about to suffer? Yeah. Or do not be afraid. And you have you come to the point that you would say, Father, whatever it is, Glorify thy name. That's where we're headed in this, this passage. Let's look a little bit at the, in the, in the um, letter form that's also in your bulletin too. This is an opportune time to notice the structure of the letter. Uh, each letter says, and the form varies a little bit from letter to letter, but just a little bit. It's to the angel of the church at these various different places. I put a map in here so you can see the places. It's, there's a geographical order to it. If you're traveling, you, you go to Ephesus first. John spent, church tradition has it, that he spent a lot of his elderly years before he went into exile in Ephesus. He knew these churches. From Ephesus to Smyrna, to Pergamum, to Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, to Laodicea. You see that journey. There's a geographical sense to it. There's also a, a, a literary sense. The way God revealed his the message to the churches, they have an order. The first and the last you can see in the overview of the churches, Ephesus was doctrinaire. Laodicea was materialistic. Both of them evidently were in fairly nice circumstances, affluent circumstances, but Ephesus had lost its, the love that it had at first. And Laodicea, we'll find when we get to it, was good for nothing. And that, those had the greatest threat in the rebuke. If you don't repent of your ways, I'll come and remove your candle, candlestick from you. You'll cease to be a church. So from the, the first and the last are, are similar in ways. And then Smyrna and Philadelphia are both the most suffering, the weakest of the churches. And right in the middle, you have Pergamum, where heresy is tolerated, Thyatira, where heresy is taught, and Sardis, which is just dead, there's an increasing problem in each of those three churches. So as you travel around, you'd be going in a circle, but you can kind of sense uh, an order, too, as God reveals his word to his whole church. These are typical problems. So to these churches, from the words of him who, and in each of the letters, there's a reference back to what I read in chapter 1 a characteristic that's described in chapter one, 
about Jesus. It becomes important when you see the uh, issue of what's going on. Just look in Ephesus. When uh, in chapter 2, in the first verse, it said, These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands, walks among his church. And at the end of the letter uh, to the church at Ephesus, it says, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Doesn't that remind you of the Garden of Eden? The problem in Ephesus was they lost the love they had at first. And they're reminded that this is from Jesus who walked in the garden with you, who had fellowship with you. It was a loving relationship between God and Adam and Eve before the fall. And that's what they are called to, a loving relationship with God. We skipped forward to Thyatira, so we'll look at, at that one too. These are the words of the Son of God, whose eyes are like blazing fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze, blazing fire, seeing, piercing through to know every secret of the heart, and whose kingdom is stable, not with feet of clay, as our earthly kingdoms, but you know, feet like burnished bronze. This is the Lord of all, the Son of God, who addresses the church where the leaders have gone bad. The leaders are actually worshiping uh, as you know, the fertility uh, religions around them worshiped, embracing them. And it was just a minority in the church who was faithful. And the Thyatira says, hold on to what you have. So you see the characteristic of Jesus that is drawn out for this church that is so, you know, so unfaithful this is the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Son of God, who knows all the secrets, can't hide from him. Now that you see uh, that, you find a recognition, I know what's going on in your church, a commendation or a rebuke or both. I commend you for this. I rebuke you for that. There's an exhortation, a, a threat where there's great rebuke. It's the exhortation is repent. And the threat can be even, uh, if you don't, I'll come and remove your lampstand. And then there's a call to hear. If you have ears to hear, then hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And there's a promise to him who overcomes. Now let's apply this to the church at Smyrna. Because it does stand out to us. Do not be afraid of what you're about to suffer. Right there, we just vanquished the health and wealth gospel. That just name it and claim it. God will protect you from everything. He wants every good thing for you. All you have to do is pray hard enough, and he will do your will. That's not quite right. The message here is don't be afraid of what you're about to suffer. And the cap letters should be, do not be afraid. Why? These are the words of him who is the first and the last who died and came to life again, who died and came to life again. Jesus said, it stands out from the introduction in chapter one, after uh, John looks and he sees all these things uh, about Jesus and his brilliance, Jesus himself said, when John fell at his feet, he said, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead. And behold, I am alive forever and ever. Just imagine if I were preaching this to a church 
in Ukraine. What's the substance of do not be afraid? It's not God will protect you from death. Even here in this time of blessing, guess what? Our mortality catches up with us all. And it's what we were afraid of. We, we were afraid of the early tragedies. We, we uh, are afraid of, of the sufferings of, of older years. And the message from him who died and rose again is don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. He's not talking about rich in material terms. He's talking about in him. We can have nothing here, but having Christ, we have everything forever. Have you really bought that yet? That's the substance of your faith. Do you realize the health and wealth gospel is actually true if you just have a long enough horizon, if you include eternity? If you include eternity, he will heal every disease and you will have everything you could possibly need or want. You will live with that bliss, that thrill of heaven that we looked at last week. Isn't that something? Do you live that way today? Yet you are rich. I know there are two I knows to this church. I know the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. In Smyrna, this is thought to be not metaphorical. There were actually Jews in the synagogue who rejected Christ as Savior. Paul would go into these cities and go to the synagogue first. And if some believed, they would be the start of the church. If they rejected him, then he'd go and preach in the rest of the city. In this city, they were much like the Jews in Jerusalem and the way they treated Jesus. They rejected his claims. They you know, called on him to be crucified. And in Smyrna, they're doing the same thing to the followers of Jesus. Jesus is saying to them, I know the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not be afraid of what you're about to suffer. You leave this place after this service, the words that should echo in your minds are simply, do not be afraid. Not of what you're about to suffer. Do not be afraid. Anything can happen to any of us, but we trust in the one who raises the dead. Do not be afraid. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for 10 days. Now, in apocalyptic terms, with, with numbers, what does 10 days mean? We don't think literal 10 days. We think of the, what does that number mean? It's a relatively short period of time. In the light of eternity, forever life in glory However long you live in suffering here approaches zero. It's interesting to me that, uh, that Jesus through John did not say, I know that you will suffer persecution, but it, it's really nothing in the light of eternity. In some ways, there's the reflection of Jesus weeping over Lazarus with his family and friends when he sees their distress. He knows he's going to raise them back to life. And yet he weeps. 
The suffering for 10 days is significant suffering when you could compare it to eternity and say, it's nothing. No, it, it matters. But it's really a short period of time. It's not that long if we remember the glory and the joy that is set before us. To endure whatever cross Jesus would allow into our lives. What's the exhortation? Be faithful. Be faithful. So let me add to what I said earlier. I want you to remember from this message, do not be afraid. It's do not be afraid. Be faithful. Even to the point of death. Our natural tendency is do not be afraid of what you're about to suffer. Be faithful, even to the point of death. It's just hard for us to see past the circumstances in this life. But it's not that. It's do not be afraid of what you're about to suffer. Be faithful, even to the point of, of death. And I will give you the crown of life. Have you gotten to the point in your Christian faith that you realize if you lose everything in this life and in this world, you gain everything forever in Christ? Even to the point of death, you're not a loser. By definition, you can never be a loser. The disciples said to Jesus after they saw the rich young ruler walk away, and Jesus said, it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven because it was hard for him to let go of what he had in this life. The disciples said to Jesus, Lord, it's actually Peter. He's always the, the spokesman. He said, we've left everything. What are we going to get? And Jesus didn't rebuke him then. He said, nobody's ever left anything, but he won't receive a hundredfold in the life to come. Have you gotten there in your Christian life? When you get there, Nothing can shake you. Now, in your flesh, you can be shaken. Peter himself, you know, I'm, I'm going to save that to the end of the sermon. I want you to follow Peter's example and grasp his humility. So I'll just hold that for a minute. The letter goes on in verse 11. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Do you have an ear? Have you already zoned out? You think this isn't relevant to, to my life? You need an ear to hear and, and hear what Jesus is saying. He who overcomes will not be hurt at all by the second death. We find at the end of Revelation, the second death is hell itself. He who overcomes will not be hurt at all by the second death. A couple of other passages now that we've been through this letter that I want to read to you. It's Hebrews 12 that says about Jesus, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. In Hebrews 10, verses 32 through 35, we read, Remember those earlier days after you, you had received the light when you endured a great conflict full of suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times, you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You suffered along with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had a better 
and lasting possession. So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. That's a passage that I haven't heard in, in many memorization schedules, and it, but it's a passage worth remembering. Matthew 10, 28 and 29 says, this is Jesus speaking, do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside of your father's care. Here's the way we are naturally prone to think. If God allows a suffering into our lives, we begin to wonder, are you really there? Do you really care? Do you hear my prayer? Instead of realizing we have a better life ahead and God has proven his care for us already in sending his son to pay for our sins on the cross to open the doors of heaven for us. Do you have that confidence that no matter what the Job's suffering might be, whatever the circumstance you might face, you don't doubt he loves and cares for you, and you know what you have in store for you in the life to come. That is what will make you unshakable. What do you fear? What are you afraid of? I'll tell you what, as I've been, we know some of these uh, Ukrainian Christians personally because our church is connected with them. I've mentioned that uh, before. Uh, we heard a couple of weeks ago uh, from one of them that one of the volunteers in their ministry uh, was killed. And it, it just makes it so personal uh, for us. And I, I think about the suffering that they're going through. And in comparison, we are so privileged. And yet, how easily do we whine and complain? Years ago, several, a number of years ago, and my wife had a diagnosis of cancer and she even started chemo and then got a second opinion that the surgery took care of it all and she didn't have to, to go through it all. And, and we were just, just amazed that God's answer to prayer. We were praying, Lord, help us through this. And he removed it from us. And we said, we will never complain again. Really? Have you, have you ever promised that? And yet it's so easy for us because this is a fallen world. We shouldn't be so happy and content with it, but we should be happy and content in it because of what our Savior has done for us and what is in store for us. Now I would call you to be like Peter. Peter's often criticized when Jesus told his disciples, you'll all desert me. He's going to Jerusalem to be handed over and to be crucified, and he'll be raised again, and you'll all desert me. And Peter said, I will never abandon you. Though everyone else does, I will die for you. And he's criticized as being proud about that. Actually, I think it's the right Christian attitude. Now, he needed a lesson in his weakness that he couldn't sustain that commitment to himself. But what did you want Peter to say? Did you want, to say, did you want Peter to say, Lord... As long as nobody else abandons you, I'll be with them. I'll stay in here. But everybody else needs to step up to the plate too. 
That's not the, the love for Christ. There is something in that, uh, that old song, though none go with me, still I will follow. That's not arrogant. It can be arrogance, but it really should not be arrogance. You just should be so devoted to Christ. That was the right zeal in Peter. Do you have that where you say, Lord, no matter what happens, I will trust in you because you've proven your love for me. That's the way to start. And then realize that as we set out to do that, we can't really do it in our own strength. It is God who is at work in us, both to will and to do his good purpose. And when he lets us fall on our faces, we are humbled. And Peter was humbled. And he denied Christ, denied knowing Christ three times. And then he saw Jesus, looked in his eyes, and Peter went out and wept bitterly. But how tenderly did Jesus come and say, Peter, do you love me? Do you love me more than everybody else loves me? And Peter just said, Lord, you know I love you. Jesus did that three times to let Peter know. It wasn't his failure that disqualified him. It's not our achievements that qualify us. We are weak, but we should be so devoted to our Savior that we say, Lord Jesus, you are the first and the last in my life. You died and you rose again. And I will not be afraid of whatever you might allow into my life in this fallen world, for I am headed to heaven to be with you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would work in us this kind of will and this kind of spirit that you would do it by your spirit, that we wouldn't be trying to drum it up in our own strength, but that we would just give ourselves to you for you have given your son for us. We praise you and thank you for that. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.